All right. Hi, everybody. It's our CFB Talk 121, and it looks like I've got to edit that title. There we go, 121. <laughs> so it is Tuesday night. We always like to use this as an opportunity to hear from you. And as we all know, the national championship was a rather one-sided affair last night, at least on the FBS level, although I'd say FCS had a bit of a better game there with uh although even then didn't take long for south dakota state to come ahead and uh, get their first national championship at the uh, d1 level um so anyways if you want to join us love to hear from you just go ahead and hit the request to speak i'd love to hear your thoughts on what you thought of well the season the national title game whatever you'd like to talk about doesn't have to be about FBS, could be about FCS, could be about any level. So just go ahead and hit request and we can hear from you. It's been a busy several weeks for us. Um, I did the show two weeks ago in Mexico City, last week's show in Bakersfield, and now we're back here in Minneapolis. Uh, my co-host, JD, has a, 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 a pleasant family affair that uh, will not allow him to join us tonight. And Sirius is also out there um visiting his family so it's going to be me flying solo tonight but again i'd like to just ask you to hit request join us we'd love to have you let's have a conversation about college football so last night i was in sofi stadium covering the national championship i gotta say the vibe from inside the press box once halftime rolled around was pretty sure most people are not going to be watching this as closely but we all had to stick around and, and watch what happened in that second half. Um, one of those things I'd like to go ahead and say, I mean, one of the things that I do remember, um, you know, my favorite little fact in, in all of that at halftime was 500 pardon me, 531 times a team had gone in halftime down 31 points. Only once in history had any team surmounted a 31 point halftime deficit by coincidence it was actually TCU in that famous 2016. Um, oh, it looks like we have someone going to let you write up now. But, it, you know, that 2016 Alamo Bowl where Gary Patterson changed his shirt halftime. Suddenly they came back and beat Oregon. But last night was not to be. So now the all time record for teams and the predicament of being down 31 points at halftime is one win and 531 losses. So. That's just the way it goes. But anyways, let's see here. If someone wants to join us, Surya, what's going on? Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask specifically, I'm currently calling from Penn State. Um, I wanted to ask about uh, what you think about Penn State uh, next year. You know, uh, There's rankings that have them as high as fifth in the country, while some people have them at sixth or seventh. So where do you think Penn State lies next year with both their team and where – you know, their chances lay for the college football playoff. Yeah, we've entered the season of way too early rankings, haven't we? I mean, that was that was a great win for Penn State in the Rose Bowl. I mean, to an extent, I, uh, you know, Cam Rising, you know, coming out of the game was was a bit of a, a, a bit of a downer for the Utes. I, I, as I've said before, I tend to watch USC a lot. So that was kind of a like what happened in the Pac-12 championship with Caleb Williams getting kind of banged up and not really playing to his full extent. But, you know, that takes nothing away from Penn State. It was a great way for Sean Clifford to end the season. It was great to see him with that rose in his mouth at the end of the game. And, you know, James Franklin always seems to have that potential, and we're always waiting for them to get over that next hump. And can they, being in such a difficult division with Michigan and Ohio State, get to the front. I mean, th th think about it. What it took to get to the Rose Bowl this year, both those teams had to make the semifinal, but at the same time, you know, it seems like they have some strong chance here. I mean, I know there's a lot of, you know, we're going to see how, you know, Drew Allard's going to do. Um, I know there was a lot of hype for him going into this season. Now it's going to be likely his team heading into next season. They have, you know, they're, they, they've still got talent across the board. I think they have, that opportunity to to get into it but i mean it is such an early you know i mean we haven't even had a chance for you know the portal to take its full effect and to see who else comes in potentially who swaps out 
But I mean, it would be while I, I would put Penn State at least in that top 10. I think, you know, I've seen some of these rankings. I think in the preseason at this point when it's way too early, it would be silly not to give them that that benefit of the doubt because Franklin's had a chance to build something there. It seems like they're just waiting for that that moment where they because I mean, in a way, are they? Now that I'm sort of thinking about it, are they like where Michigan was before Harbaugh finally got them going to their full potential that he was thinking they had going? Because remember, people were getting really impatient with him. And really, I thought he made the playoffs at the best possible time for his kind of um, for his career. I wasn't saying they're going to fire him, but you could definitely sense the rumblings there. So is this going to be the season where Franklin finally gets his own opportunity to take the team where Penn State fans have been expecting them to go? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I really do think it's about you were talking about, you know, Michigan and Ohio State. Um, you know, we, we're get, uh, Michigan's playing uh, us at home here uh, next year. So I think I think I think that's like our honestly our best chance to kind of break that plane to make the playoff on one loss. But at the same time, I think um, really getting that second win against Ohio State, even though much tougher, would be, you know, would be would be great. But um, I think I think uh, having that game against Michigan, especially because we could uh, it could be the whiteout game or even the stripeout game, which, you know, they're both the highest attended games per year. So um, having just that type of support in in Beaver Stadium and, you know, um, basically having the whole crowd, you know, be be loud, cause cause some false starts, as you know, always happens and whiteouts and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think just that um, is is something that it's just that it's just that level we need to get to. That's you know, difficult, but, um, but I think we have a better chance than not of, you know, accomplishing next year. So. Definitely. And, you know, I was just kind of glancing at the 2023 20, schedule. I'm actually looking forward to seeing how they do against West Virginia. Now I think obviously Penn state would be favored in that game, but you know, they're always an interesting program. And, and after a game with Delaware, which you know is a decent team, don't get me wrong. Delaware is always a solid FCS program, but it's an FCS program. So we're going to expect um, the Nittany Lions to roll over them at Illinois, man, after kind of what Bielema got Illinois doing this season, that's going to be, that's going to be an interesting game. I think, uh, I'd be curious to see how those two guys, how those two programs stack up against each other was how much of a blip. I'm not saying, uh, I would necessarily expect Illinois to Illini, pardon me to win, but, uh, but it would be interesting to kind of see how they, they match up against each other. That's kind of, they feel going into next year, what South Carolina felt like going into this season where the previous year we're like, Oh wow, that was, that was a good year. Let's see how South Carolina does, you know, in the, in the sequel. And, and I, in a way I kind of feel that way about the uh, Illinois right now, but Penn state. Yeah. I think, I think preseason ten, in the top 10, you know, rounding out somewhere in the bottom five of the top 10 wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a bad ranking, but I think again, it's way too early. We'll see how this all, shapes up and of course we sort that out hopefully fairly quickly in the first few weeks of the season but um yeah thanks for joining us yeah thank you and again if you guys anyone out there if you want to bring up anything about what's going on uh, at the end of this season what you thought of the national championship game um you know the new year's six although we we've had a chance to talk about them we're happy to talk about them again um fcs title game what's going on in the next season Anything. We'd love to hear from you. Just hit request. So again, yeah, as I was kind of um, just sort of hitting on before uh, we had an opportunity to talk to Surya, you know, national championship was a fun uh, atmosphere. It was less of a fun game. That second half was again, it was it went it felt like it went quick in the press box. Again, I know on TV it's different. You know, this morning. They had the uh, there was always a winning team sort of national champions press conference the day after the national championship. They do it in the morning. You know, the amusing thing this morning was Stetson Bennett was almost was scheduled to speak, but uh, he didn't make it. It's not clear, entirely clear why no one wanted to say why, although the running gag even in the postgame presser was since he's 25, he's going to probably go out and get a little smashed maybe appear like he did on Good Morning America after the national championship last year. I didn't really pay attention to where he appeared. But Brock Bowers, um, their star tight end, appeared in his place. And, you know, as soon as they they, they were running a little late because it was traffic. I mean, it's L.A. and they put the teams way far away from the press. But it was amusing because they they asked um, Brock Bowers, you know, when did you find out you were going to be talking today? He's like, man, I was coming down the elevator, headed to breakfast, 
And then I suddenly get a call and it's like, yo, we're taking you off the bullpen. You got to come give the press conference this morning. So that was that was probably the most amusing part of this this morning's conference. You know, that and the fact that you talk to a guy like Kirby Smart, they all you know, he's he absolutely resists talking about whether or not Georgia is a dynasty, although certainly it's hard not to call them that after seeing consecutive national championships, you know, several years in the top 10 before that. And now we're seeing what they are, the presumptive favorite to at least in these extremely early rankings to, to continue on next year, because the team this year and the team last year were fairly different from each other. And that was something um, smart even commented on himself. I mean, immediately after the game, uh, in the presser, I was most interested by the way he was kind of talking about that. I mean, sorry, just looking for the exact quote. I have like piles of quotes here. But the thing was, um, you know, Georgia, as many people noted, lost 15 players to the draft, 13 players to the transfer portal last season. And this year's smart, you know, after the game, he's like, there's some parts of me that thinks if last year's team played this year's team, last year's team probably had more talent on it. But this year's team was different. Like, you know, this team just had the eye of the tiger. They weren't going to lose. And then, you know, talking to him this morning, some of the, the reporters were trying to get him to talk about whether or not they could three-peat. And that was one where, again, he kind of was trying to duck the question, but at the very end of a very long answer, he kind of actually did give his answer. And, you know, he thought it's going to be probably even more difficult next year. Uh, that was something he definitely felt, you know, I do think it's going to be much tougher and I do think we're going to have to reinvent ourselves next year because you can't just stay the same. Um, you mentioned the two guys up there, Brock Bowers and, uh, uh, um, oh gosh, uh, ah, sorry, his name is totally jumping out of my head. The, the defensive uh, MVP, they're both going to be, uh, pardon me, uh, Javon Bullard. They're going to both be there next season. But, you know, they have a lot of guys that are it's going to still be a bit of a rebuild for them. But anyway, um, we have someone else up here who wants to chat. Uh, Will um, or Squilliam. Uh, what's up? Love to hear from you. Just go ahead and hit unmute and uh, we'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Sometimes Twitter spaces act a little wacky. So it's in the bottom left, Will. Um, if you get a chance, love to hear what your thoughts are. But as we're kind of waiting for that, again, if you'd like to join us, just go ahead and hit request. If you want to talk about the national title game, if you want to talk about anything else in college football, uh, it's something we enjoy doing here on Tuesday nights on our CFB. Um, we're going to actually have a couple more guests coming up soon. That was another nice thing about going to the national title game. Got to see some of the folks who've been guests on here in the past and some of the folks we're going to hopefully have join us again in the future. You know, some other thoughts on that national championship game. I know, you know, by the way, here's a good example. This morning, you know, you talk to some of the other reporters. We've all seen the game in the press box. And one thing we never realize, and the one thing I appreciate is I'll go to the post game discussion or an RCFB or on Twitter or wherever you go to see how people react. And everyone was talking about that interaction between David Pollock and um, Nick Saban. None of us even knew about it when we were watching at home, because when everyone's hearing that, when everyone's seeing that we're running from place to place and focusing on, on different stuff and not to say it's more important stuff, but it's just like you only have a limited amount of time to look at things. So it's always interesting to see what people see and what, what uh what catches eyes i remember the same thing happened um covering that amazing lsu team that that ran over clemson and the next morning everyone wanted to talk about you know odell beckham handing out cash to to a player on the field and again most of us didn't see that so but everyone at home and everyone online had noticed it and that's one of those kind of fun things you see in the uh the nuance of it all but again if you want to talk about the national championship game or any other aspect of college football heading into the offseason, heading into the next season. Maybe you got some thoughts. Love to hear from you. Just go ahead and hit that request button. Um, it's in the bottom left. Uh, if Twitter hasn't moved it again. All right, we got to see someone who wants to join in here. All right, Eric Fox, when you get a chance, just hit unmute. I see you're connecting. So just go ahead and hit unmute, Eric. We'd love to, love to talk to you, man. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Doing well. Um, with the exchange between Saban and uh, David Pollock there, um, you think Saban's going to come in hot uh, this upcoming season um, and try and 
you know, maybe get some revenge. Um, being the competitive guy that, that he is, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right on that. I mean, I mean, and, and you know, the funny thing is I always wonder with, with Sabin, how much of it is, does he even, does he just think, well, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'll probably get it? Or is he, does he, I mean, you know, I'm wondering how much of, how much his sense of revenge kind of manifests. I could see him taking a little bit of glee in, because uh, uh, I mean, it, you got the whole, you know, master and apprentice thing with him and, uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, because I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Kirby Smart was hired because he has that that Saban, you know, not that same mentality, but he knows how that to build a program like that. And he certainly has. I mean, oh, yeah. he, there's no doubt. I mean, like anyone who had any doubts about Georgia, like and I'm not saying many people did. And I got to say that I say that also with a bit of there was that there. A lot of people have been sharing that um, that video clip. <laughs> You know, no one believed in us, and oh, yeah. it's like you guys have you guys have ranked no no lower than three yeah. all season long, man. Yeah. <laughs> People believed yeah. in you. People but had us going was... five and six. No, they didn't. You <laughs> no. were favored. You know, favored to win the 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 title. You know, and you know that, that was funny that those guys were saying that. But with Alabama losing Will Anderson and, and Bryce Young, they'll have the number one recruiting class. You know, it's just it'll be a rebuild uh, or, or reload for them as well. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that was interesting to hear um, from uh, Kirby Smart after the game was, you know, one of the things that he, he really liked about this program is, I mean, he said they were unblemished. And he thought, you know, because last year he seems, again, as I said in the quote when he was talking about it, he seemed to think that previous last year had maybe even a little more talent on the field. But this year they didn't need to learn a lesson from a loss. They didn't have to learn from losing to Alabama in the conference title game. They didn't have anything to learn. They just went out and did it. And I, my, one of my favorite quotes, and he really, I mean, hearing it in person, he really did deliver it with kind of a fun sense of, uh, I mean, you, you couldn't, you couldn't hate him. I, I loved when mm. Stetson Bennett was like, you know, um, it seems like th for these past three or four months, we've been looking to see if someone could beat us and we just ran out of games. Nobody could. Mm. <laughs> And yeah. I, I love that quote because that was that's really what it what it's been like for for Georgia and I imagine a lot of the the fan base. Oh yeah, and I'm a Georgia fan. It'll be interesting to see who you know takes the realm at at QB next year. You know, and the the schedule is even is going to be easier. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see what happens. Yep, <laughs> great expectations. Absolutely. How did you like the game last night yourself? It was a b bit of a snooze fest. Uh, you know, you're hoping for a good game, but, um, you know, it is it is what it is there. Um, you know, the national championship could have been the, the you know, the Saturday prior. Probably should have been with, with Ohio State there, you know. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when it turns into a 12-team playoff, um, you know, with, with, with the more games. And, um, yeah, I mean – you know, a game last Saturday with Ohio State. Goodness, um, you're hoping for one of those games. Absolutely, I'm with you there. I think it's going to be. I'm still looking forward to the to the wider playoff because I think it can only get better. But yeah, thanks, man. It was great hearing from awesome. you. Thanks yeah, for thank, oh. thank you very much. Absolutely. So let's see here. Next up. Oh, it looks like Squilliam was up, and then it it dropped him again. But no problem, David. What's up? David, um, let's see here. Yeah, David uh, Lindhagen. Just go ahead and hit unmute. Um, love to hear from you. I saw you unmuted for a half second there. So I'll wait to see if we can get you up here. And again, if you want to join us here, I'd love to hear your thoughts. It can be about the national championship. Whatever your thoughts are on the past season or heading into the offseason, heading into next season, uh, just hit request. Would enjoy hearing from you. I think... David's going to go ahead and reset his connection. I sometimes see that. Oh, it looks like we got someone else up here. Let's see here. Letting you up uh, the civilized choice. Once you're up here, just go ahead and uh, unmute. Uh, civilized choice. Would love to hear from you. What's up? Oh, how are you doing? I need to hear from all the TCU fans today. Uh, are y'all okay? Blink twice if you are. 
Yeah, you know, and here's the funny thing. I'm, I, we, one of my co-hosts is a TCU fan, and he Ooh. had a good family surprise emergency that occurred, which, I mean, he, he wanted to go to this game so badly and he couldn't go. But he actually texted me a statement to read on his behalf tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, use the acronym, but, you know, laugh my ass off. TCU now has as many playoff wins as Notre Dame, Michigan, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Penn State, Michigan State, Miami, Tennessee, Auburn, and the entire Pac-12 combined. Always cheer for chaos in this sport. Otherwise, just go be boring and watch the NFL. What an incredible season with a dominating performance by Georgia. Here's to more unprecedented seasons like this one in the future. So that is... That is from JD, my normal co-host who couldn't make it tonight, and I I know why he couldn't make it tonight. Um, so he had an excuse. He has a legitimate excuse. He isn't hiding because the 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 frogs lost. Trust me on that. He he was out of commission for this week, and we knew that as of Sunday. So, but I guarantee you, he was having fun time. I mean, I I think that Michigan win probably gave a lot of those those frogs fans a lot of, you know, they didn't expect to get this far. So I think that that's probably where a lot of them are. But I mean, again, if anyone are out there, feel free to to pipe in. But how about yourself, man? What did you think of the game? Man, I was just as a as a as a out of work coach, as a defensive coach, I'm still waiting on them to walk a fourth defender down just to. I mean, Georgia was up on the second level so fast it was like, did anybody move? Did anybody on the defense move? Did anybody just try to stop anybody? It was just that dominating. And, and where did Georgia get all these tight ends? That's all I got to ask. Where, where did they get these 6'7", 240, 50, 60-pound cats that can run four fives and four fours? That's not fair. Absolutely. you know, And it was real fun to kind of – if you ever hear – and I know – it's, I'm sure many of the Georgia fans have heard this, but just listening to the recruitment they had for guys like Brock Bowers, and it's just like they were Zoom recruits because of the pandemic. And to get them, you know, sell them on the program, they were like having these long Zoom meetings um, with coaches just to kind of talk how they would fit in the program. And, and Kirby Smart's like, those are the kind of players I want, the ones with the patience to do that, to actually sit on a Zoom call and talk strategy with a coach that whole time. And I guess that's how you pull in it. But I mean, you know, there's been some stud tight ends out there this season, Utah. And part of, I, you know, we were talking about Penn state being Utah a little bit earlier in this call. Mm. I mean, Utah was without that monster of a, of a tight end they had, because he'd already declared for the draft and the name is my mind, but he was also one of those just exceptional examples of, of tight ends that are playing college football today. But yeah, I know what you mean. Georgia just absolutely, you know, and speaking of defense, one of my favorite bits that, um, that again, came up at the very end of the Georgia press conference after following the national championship game. So late last night, um, it was interesting because right before it ended, um, Coach Kirby Smart actually stopped and just sort of added a new answer because he just said, you know, um, I'm going to actually read it because I love the way he said it. I, I just want to say one thing before we finished. I promised our guys – um, somebody out there, he's talking to all the press out there in the audience, someone write a really good article because our defensive scout team did the most unbelievable job. And I remember this because before, I'm not reading what he's saying, but before the game and the pregame conference, he said, like, you know, dealing with that 3-3-5, you know, I don't know if we can properly emulate it. We're just going to do our best. We've been doing our best, and we hope we're pretty accurate to what TCU is like. So he said that before the game. So now we're jumping to after the game, going back to what he said. You know, when we got to TCU, I called all my defensive scout team in. I had the coaches meet with them. We made them meet and become this defense. We said we're going to go out there and be better than TCU could do it. You know, you're going to watch the tape, sit there, and learn how to do it. And then again, he goes, you know, that's exactly what they did. You know, they, they were giving us an un unbelievable look that set our offense up for success. Scout team made a difference, and we had a hell of a scout team to give these guys a look. And that was how he closed his conference after the national championship game, giving all the, uh, the credit in the world to his defensive scout team for prepping the, uh, the Georgia offense to have zero problems with that 3-3-5 last night.
Yeah, and he he's smart in doing that. I mean, any coach worth his weight always gives credit to those that help him get prepared. So, uh, but the main thing is with that uh, with what TCU was running last night. It was I don't maybe I should have expected it because they did give up forty five to Michigan, and I and because okay. Michigan was kind of a reluctant watch for me. I never liked watching Michigan's offense. So I didn't watch too much of them. When I did, they were running through Ohio State, and I was like, where did this come from? So really, I didn't trust Michigan, and I shouldn't shouldn't have trusted TCU because really I was calling TCU to win last night, if you ask me. I'm going to be one of those that admit, admit that I got into the whole underdog. Thing. You got you got hypnotized them by the hypnotoad. That thing just yep. sold everybody. The hypnotoad got me. The hypnotoad got me. So uh, basically, I'm watching, and I just saw the whole difference in speed, in scheme, in just football IQ. Because all the RPO stuff they would try, uh, RPO stuff that uh, TCU was trying to get, Georgia was just right there sitting on it, right there. If they got, if they got it to who they wanted, they were immediately down. Uh, there was no open holes, there were no busted coverages. And of course, we know uh, McConkey off had one of the easiest salt. So you could just see the difference, just how, man, it was just like eye-opening. Like, is this really how Georgia football is, or is it just that they built this team this year and it just happened to be behind the one that, you know, won last year? Because if Georgia football is like this, and I know everybody is talking about Bama's done it for 12 years, Kirby is 47. He's the same age as me. <laughs> we played, we both played at the same time. I'm supposed to be coaching. Uh, okay. I'm FFCA right now. Uh, but I can see him coaching 25, 30 more years. What about you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, at the rate he's going, you know, the only thing I think that would ever stop Kirby Smart, just based on what he said, is he definitely thinks that maybe there needs to be sort of the NCAA should put a rule and and Sunny Dykes agreed with this and both of them are are you know their their families of coach it's just like we need to have more breaks we need to have mandatory breaks because we're so competitive we're always going to work until someone tells us we can't work and that because was like the only thing it's like we got to be able to spend more time with our families and mental health and stuff like that but, right, it's just the nature of competition. Yeah, uh, you can't you can't let up. If kind of like if you had a big brother, little brother situation, and let's say one of y'all wanted to fight over remote, and y'all just got big headed and was like, "I right, I ain't gonna let go of the remote." So as soon as one of y'all just say, "Okay, I, I need a break," and let go of the remote, you lose your dream. Right, you don't get the remote. <laughs> Same thing. As soon as you let go of the rope. In college football, as soon as you let it go just a little bit and let something slip, you're done. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You get that sense, especially from these these coaches at the top level. That's exactly the vibe you get from them. Oh, no. You can't, like, you can't Look, stop. You, you, if you remember the first time I came on your show, is we dominated HBCU basic topic. My dad has been a HBCU coach, athletic administrator for 30, 40 years. I grew up in HBCU football and football in general. So I have seen my, you know, I've seen where my dad has, you know, been a head coach, fired, and gone and had to take a, I think he was a D-line coach. And that really affected me because now it's like, ooh, I don't have as much access to the team. I don't, I'm not as around as much. You know, you, you get the sense of, you know, how, things get when you did get demoted, you know, very quickly. So that's the reason why I, when I, when I'm fired, I'm sitting here watching all these games, trying to catch knowledge because when I get back in, 
I'm not trying to get fired again. Sorry to interrupt you, Coach. My buddy Jacob just hopped in here, who is a diehard Georgia Tech fan. Uh oh. In our lifetime, do you, do you think we'll ever see Georgia Tech compete for a national title? Here, here's what Georgia Tech needs to embrace, kind of like Vanderbilt too. And I'm I'm from Nashville, so that's kind of why I compared the two because they're both in metro uh, major metropolitan areas that uh, can boost their talent level. But will they compromise academics over athletic success? That's my question for Georgia Tech and any above standard educational institution in America. Are they going to sacrifice their core academics to be uh, athletically successful? If they are, then they have a chance. I could see that. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. You know, we have a couple other folks up here. I want to get to them. David, you were up as well. And after David, let's talk to Gray Fox the third. We'll, we'll get to both of you, I promise. Hey, David, why don't you chime in? We'd love to hear from you, man. Hey, man, what's up? So, um, yeah, I just want to uh, offer uh, a defense of of Georgia as a as a Florida fan. We need to offer uh, a defense of Georgia. Why did they? they, 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 they TCU fans are now. I can see that, but but please go ahead. Well, well, yeah. I mean, what, where I'm going with this is that you know, obviously, you know, uh, start start with us, Stetson Bennett, and you know, when he when he talked about how people how people doubted Georgia, and he got a lot of pushback on that. And sure, on the surface, it sounded really corny, like you know, who would doubt Georgia? Come on, come on now, but. In fairness, there were people, not everybody, certainly not everybody, but there were people out there who thought that Georgia would take a step back after they lost 15 players to the draft. Now, step back, like I think Georgia has gotten to the point now where a step back for them is still a 9-3 and or 10-2 and season. Certainly, I thought that they would still be top 10, you know, top 15 at, at worst. Um, so, a step back in that sense. But certainly... I don't think anybody here, I mean, I know there were a couple of Georgia players. I think one of them was Nolan Smith, if I remember correctly. And another guy on Georgia's team who thought that, you know, people thought that they were going to go seven and five, six and six, five and seven. And it's like, who the hell thought you guys were going to go five and seven? Like maybe some obscure Reddit user by the name of grass Eater four, four, five or whatever. But, like, other than trolls, who the hell thought you guys were going to be that bad? Like, th- there's no way that even Georgia fans can believe that's legit. Like, come on now. Absolutely, no. And I think that was just kind of a I- – I think maybe he was leaning a little bit too much into, you know, the, the mentality of, you know, the hunger and-, and trying to prove people wrong. And it just kind of came out in really a funny way. And, yeah, that one was kind of – but I agree. I think a lot of folks uh, thought Georgia – I mean, Georgia was expected to have the strongest chance to repeat, but that, of course, we know going you know wire to wire or staying number one, uh, let alone repeating, just history says it doesn't always happen. And it had been quite a while since uh, Alabama last did it. So I think you're right. I think a lot of people were maybe expecting a one loss, maybe two losses here or there, maybe a loss in the conference title game or – or something like that. But yeah, no, they 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 definitely defied expectations. And um, I think to a lot of folks uh, outside of the Georgia program and the fan base, they proved that they can do it again, and they proved that they can reload. I think that's a scary thing. They've got a good system there that, that allows them to go from year to year. You know, I want to, David, hang on, and I just want to make sure we get to, that we've got two other, I'll get to you, Schoolium, in a second. Um, thank you for sticking with it and, and keep trying to get up here. Uh, actually, it looks like it dropped again, but Gray Fox, what's up? You've been really patient. What's going on? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, well, I just wanted to chime in, and you know, yeah, Georgia does need a defense because they straight up murdered TCU last night. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, <laughs> There, there was no real sportsmanship in it, and I'm, I'm wondering, has anybody, um, 
found TCU because this the team that got off the bus and played last night that's that wasn't TCU that they they had to be like body snatchers or something um it was just I I, I know yesterday I was busy running around doing you know errands and things like that I taken the day off from work wanted to try and get home to watch the game and I'm already late and I'm looking at the score by the time that I'm actually able to get in there and watch it and I'm like it's not even worth watching anymore I mean they have straight up murdered TCU um Georgia was just loaded there's just there's no doubt about it but uh one thing I did want to bring up is uh you know the news my my Seminoles they done brought in Patrick Sertan for their defensive back coach and I think that this is going to be a huge deal for us because he has so many ties you know to the to Miami and and that area of Florida, it's gonna it's gonna bolster our recruiting. Mike Norvell is building something special here at Florida State, and you can see it here in Tallahassee. It's it's just uh, it's a good feeling to be back uh, in in the national conversation. So that's all I wanted to bring in. This is my first time on your show, uh, and it's good so far. I'm enjoying it. So well, I pre- we appreciate hearing from you. Yeah, no, I mean the Knolls have been fun to see them kind of start to to find themselves again because they felt a little lost there, you know, and every big program I think goes through a period like that. And yes, Alabama, some of us are old enough to remember when that was you, but, uh, you know, at the same time, I mean, yeah, I I think it's great to see him doing that. You know, one of the things just going back to what happened to TCU and, you know, Sonny Dykes, he's a lot, he's a fun guy for the press to talk to because he likes to talk. In fact, one of my favorite, gosh, so before the game, like two days before the game, they have a presser with just the two head coaches sort of sitting on opposite sides of the, the trophy. And, you know, it's, it's a pleasant conference and the national media asking questions. And afterwards, I saw a tweet that someone pointed out. It's like people love being the other coach when Sonny Dykes is on the stage because Sonny Dykes really likes to talk. And a lot of these head coaches don't necessarily enjoy that part of the work. So it's, it's kind of like they can just let Sonny talk. And he usually says things that are good because his dad was a coach, you know, Spike Dykes, he, he's got that in his blood. So he knows what to say in a way that isn't typically going to, to cause, you know, havoc. But anyway, you know, all that said, he, he's pretty, you know, he's willing to talk after the national championship game. It wasn't as morose as some of, the national championship post game, you know, losing coach conferences that I've been in on. Although to be fair, I think he already had time to move through some of the stages of grief. Uh, after that, by halftime, I think they were already kind of processing what had happened. But you know, to, to what? Some, go ahead. Somebody should have brought out like a mental health counselor because that was that was demoralizing. That was literally a. It, it, I mean, it hurt my feelings. Uh, I I was kind of depressed watching it. It's just. It, I was hoping for a better game, but I mean, Georgia was just completely stacked and loaded and ready to go because, and the only thing that I can, I can excuse or, or try and explain it is TCU didn't show up. That was not TCU. It was a bunch of body doubles that just uh, stepped in for, them. you know, and what it was interesting because what, the, what uh, coach Dyke said is they had done everything because, and you kind of get it. It's like, we did exactly what we did for the last 14 games and it worked you know, yeah, they lost one game, but it was in overtime. So it basically got them in every game for up into this one. Um, they beat Michigan doing the exact same thing, you know, nine, ten days earlier. But he's saying, like, today? <laughs> just, you know, I love it. I'm just looking at the quote, like the exact quote from the transcript. You know, it's like, our preparation was really good. You know, he's going through all that stuff. But, and again, I, I don't know what happened tonight. We ran into a really good team, and we did some uncharacteristic things, and it snowballed on us. And that hasn't happened to us one time this year that we haven't been able to fight our way back and figure out a way to get in the game or win the game, but we weren't able to do that tonight. So we'll self-evaluate, make corrections, and go from there. You know, and I remember that too because he even pointed out, and it was striking to those of us in the press box, both teams really early on had false start penalties. But for TCU, that was like their fourth false start penalty or fifth false start penalty all year. So that's literally how the game started for them. And then they ended up going three and out. And then, you know, obviously Georgia scored a couple of times. It was 10 points, but then TCU scores. And then from there, it just, that was all TCU could put together. And I think they just finally cracked. And, you know, granted, a lot of surprises with that team. It's Sonny Dykes' first season at TCU. So you figured some transition to get, get players in. And a lot of people were asking, like, how did you get this team to be so good? And he's like, well, they bought into this system immediately. And, uh, 
one of the things he talked about was the fact that, you know, he had four players he was told he should keep on the roster as soon as he got there and not lose to the portal. And he lost three of them to the portal. So, you know, again, a lot of the things that happened at TCU weren't necessarily things that were expecting. And, and the fourth that did stay was Quentin Johnson, who's going to be probably a stud in the NFL as a wide receiver. Although, again, he had a tough game. All of them had tough games tonight. There were some, like, bad passes. There were so many little things that kept going wrong early for TCU. And then just Georgia. I mean, Georgia was a team they went up against where that natural talent up and down that roster. Just, I, I think that outclassed him a bit, too. There were a few plays where you saw TCU kind of going over, trying to go around the edge, and those defenders just were there in a heartbeat. Now, I'm not saying there's no talent in the Big 12, certainly – you know, Texas and, and Oklahoma can pull in some talent in their own right, and as well as the other programs there. But this was that combination of just discipline with the sheer talent that Georgia pulls in. And it, I, TCU would have had to play a perfect game, and that just they just kept making little mistakes, and Georgia did not, and absolutely demoralized them. Yeah, it, 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 it goes right back to kind of like um... – uh, the replacements uh, with Keanu Reeves and all that. And he said, what's your fear? And it's quicksand. One thing goes wrong and then it's everything else and you just can't fight and you can't get back out. And every, that, that, that's what this game was to me. I mean, it, all jokes aside, I think it was a lot of, a lot of nerves for the kids at TCU. I mean, this is, this is the first time they've ever been in a big stage like this. I mean, and yeah, they balled out against Michigan, but the, Georgia is Georgia right now, their roster up and down, they could be, uh, they could probably beat three to four of the teams in the NFL, at least the Broncos with how bad Russell Wilson is playing. So, I mean, you know, the, the and going back to me being a Seminole fan, you know, we were hot on the trail for Marvin Jones Jr. Uh, being a legacy recruit and everything else. He's a fourth string defensive end. A five, this five, that five-star kid, Shade Tree Jr. is fourth string defensive end right now that's how stacked and how talented that defense is and and going back to the previous um speaker who was talking about you know how did anybody even think that georgia could lose seven games this season or anything like that the, yeah I, I don't understand that one bit i mean yeah maybe one and like the trap the, there's always a trap game every season and there's this year was missouri i think it was um but that 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 would have been more understandable. But five or six games, I just don't see it. That 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 roster up and down with Georgia, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is absolutely incredible. It's it's incredible. Absolutely, and I think a lot of folks are looking forward to seeing how the Knowles do. Especially, it's nice to see the ACC, uh, you know, mix it up again. Because for a while there, it was kind of Clemson and friends. Um, and obviously Wake Forest has become a bit of a, you know, can, can shake things up a bit, but now it's good to see Florida state back for sure. I got to interrupt you on that. Uh, I cannot stand Wake Forest and that funky offense with that mesh. I can't stand it. (laughs) I've never hated an, like an offensive system so much. Like, I, I mean, I've had anger with, you know, or, you know, uh, bad feelings towards players and stuff because they're just killing us. There, but just I've never had a system just irk my nerves <laughs> so bad like that mesh point passing with Wake Forest. It just it drives me oh, insane. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. It's been great hearing from you. Thanks for joining us. So, absolutely. Yeah. Thank hey, you. Thack. It's been a while. What's going on with you? I saw you pop on, and we were just talking about Mizzou. And to be fair, you know, Kirby Smart also mentioned that Mizzou game. He was like. We had a couple of games where we had to to fight back, and you know Ohio State and Mizzou were the two he brought up. Those were the those were the oddly enough some of the the the, the games that Kirby Smart thought were the games that tested Georgia. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, man. All right, so it's my understanding that uh, that the AP voters sort of get rotated out. Man, if I'm an AP voter, you know what team two teams I would rank? I don't give a shit. I'm not I'm not voting next year. Kent State and Missouri. And then that is, that is 1000% a fact. Yeah. I mean, come on. Wait, I mean, seriously. I mean, it's no, no, it's, no, no, no. I get it. I get it. It's uh, it's, it, it's crazy to think about a, you know, Brady cook, that kid was injured. Uh, the game prior drink. has got a really unhealthy uh, obsession, like a dumbass with playing injured quarterbacks. It's uh, 
it's kind of weird uh, the first time it happens, but it's definitely weird the second time it happens and it comes out postseason. But man, I mean, people, people in Columbia, nobody, nobody, nobody went to that game. They, they, they were, people were all at the bars, you know, kind of watching it, you know, a Saturday night in uh, Columbia. It's, you know, big bar school and people were flooding from the bars at halftime, picking up tickets anywhere they could go to that game. I mean, I mean, it was just the, how, how did Missouri was the only team that, you know, Ohio State uh, and, you know, Kent State, if we really think about it, but only team to come sort of that close. What, what was the, what was the breakdown in that game? I mean, everybody has a, has a breakdown, but, uh, and, you know, people are trying to play this off as TCU didn't play nobody, Paul. TCU ain't played anybody, Paul. TCU is a good team. TCU was a really, really good team. And to get embarrassed like that on the national stage is is something either something – I mean, it's it's something didn't happen. I mean, Georgia's just a very good football team. I don't know. Anyway, man, we got uh, we got Hopper back, so uh, so things are riding high for the club. We do. We finally got an Australian punter. You see that? Yes. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I got uh, I got family that goes to Iowa, man. They got that uh, <coughs> they got that star punter, Australian uh, man up there. Holy shit! I'd never seen louder cheers in my life for a punter in the pregame. Uh, or I went to uh, Iowa City. Visit uh, visit some family up there. I'd never seen uh, louder cheers for a punter. And when Spencer Penis walked down on the field, they booed him. The whole student section booed him. It was the Nevada game, man. Oh man, that's what we love college football, isn't it? That's what makes it fun. You know, I mean, we need more of that. I was just thinking that. You know, gosh, one of the things I did see on the side of the championship game that, gosh, I'm mad at myself because I honestly thought I'd recorded it on my phone. And it was like the one thing you look at your phone and you're like, I didn't actually hit play. God dang it. You know, it was um, Brett Yormark, the uh, Big 12 commissioner. He's trying to be funny. He's doing interesting things. He came from, you know, he'd spent a bunch of time with the New Jersey Nets. The NBA has always been, I think, a little bit better about kind of marketing to, to younger people, which is somewhere funny. I mean, college football, I, it's all younger people, but it's always been this weird kind of like stoic sort of approach um, especially the commissioners. And so your mark's trying to be fun and interesting and, and with sort of marketing and stuff. But I, I literally watched this, you know, way before the game when they're just practicing on the field, warming up in their just, you know, athletic shirts and not in, even in jerseys or let alone pads. TCU is leaving the field and Max Duggan's walking off the field. And I literally watched your mark like reach out, kind of give him that high five that turns into a bro hug and just kind of like camaraderie. And I'm just like, I don't know many commissioners that actually do that with players, you know, so I don't know. I just sort of, you know, thinking about that, thinking about what makes college football fun. I really hope we see more of that just spreading to the other kind of that, that feeling, that sense of like, this is fun stuff. This is college football. You know, it was really funny too, because Jason Kidd was on the sidelines yesterday because he was, because of the, you know, his ties to your mark when they were both with the nets. But um, yeah, it was kind of a, uh, that's, that's kind of a, I'm glad you brought that up. And, you know, by the way, I just want before the, the phone kicks him off against Squilliam, you know, we've been trying to get you up here. Why don't you unmute? And we'd love to hear from you while we still got you up here, man. Oh, it's not letting you unmute. That, that mic monster. Hey, man, uh, I just want to say before I leave. Go ahead. Oh, man, what was that? Hey, uh, thank, thank you all for having me this season. Hey, I want to welcome any college football fan to the treacherous thing we call the off season. Pretty soon you're going to see start and see posts on the message boards about uh, uh, Big Ten championships in the snow uh, versus distance to a Pancheros. So you be re- better be ready and uh, you better be ready for some off season fine bomb because it is going to be crazy <laughs> this year. Have a good one, y'all. Absolutely, man. Thanks, Zach. It's always great hearing from you. Um, So, Gray Fox, what's up? I saw your hand up. Yeah, I I also wanted to touch on the fact, you know, that we were talking about the the tight end room with uh, George and where do they get all these cats from, you know, yeah, just talking about the COVID year and and how quick everything came together for them. Uh, And again, I'm sorry, I'm biased and I I love talking about them, but – 
talking about a tight end room, if you look at what's going on but in the, from the portal for Florida State with the tight end room, we're going to have some monsters that I think that Mike Norvell is definitely going to use between Jaheim Bell, who is literally a stone's throw away from my hometown. You know, that's where he played at with Valdosta. Um, I went back because I didn't really pay attention to South Carolina or anything like that. And as soon as I saw that he was in the portal, I tweeted to him telling him to come on home. And then I actually started watching some of the game film and that kid is something special and he could be a definite X factor. And then you look at uh, Kyle Morlock that we got uh, from shorter university. That kid is humongous. I mean, he's just got that length and everything else. I'm definitely excited about that. Um, I did want to say, I don't agree. There is no off season with college football anymore, especially with the way the transfer portal goes and the dates and everything else. It's a 24 seven, game now. Um, and uh, I love the transfer portal, but then at other times I hate the transfer portal. Kind of like uh, I love the NIL and, and the fact that these kids can make some money off of their name because, you know, they're look at DeMar Hamlin, you know, one second he's fine. The next second, you know, yeah. he's down on the field and they're having to rush him to the emergency room. You know, let these kids make some money for themselves, you know, uh, definitely. But there again, there does need to be more oversight and, and, and getting – getting everybody on the same page and everybody in the same kind of parody, you know? Uh, but um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I knew y'all had mentioned the, the Georgia tight ends room and, and everything. And uh, as a matter of fact, if you ever have a, 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 you know, a special where you're like going down all the teams and you're doing the ACC, just call me and I'll talk about Florida state the entire time for you. And, and, and you can save your voice. Cause I could, I can talk Florida state football for hours and days and everything else. So sorry about that. But uh Thanks no, again. not at all. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're always welcome to come by and, and talk Florida State. We love it. It's great. Hey, uh, Will, uh, Squilliam, have you been able to make it up? I, I keep seeing you. Oh, there. Oh, well, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I'm no, just right. having some uh, terrible internet. You hear me? Sure can. What's up? Sweet. Well, I know you guys are talking about national championship, but uh, I was your thoughts on the Dion um, remarks when he kind of leaked a schedule update and trying to get the the week zero game and your opinion on that you know because out here in Arizona we're kind of uh, we're on the fence about this game I think it's a terrible deal for ASU to even think of it but there are some people like, yeah, well, it's Dion, you know, he's going to be a brand. But I just wanted to see if it, you guys, you know, outside the states of Colorado and Arizona had any thoughts on it. You know, it's it's a I get why he wants to do it. And and part of it is that's what Dion does. I mean, he obviously he had a pretty dang good season uh, both these last two years at you know, Jackson State. Now he's got his opportunity to to move to FBS with Colorado. I know some folks were a little surprised by that. You know, it was interesting. We had Chris Fowler do an AMA uh, last week. And, you know, I actually asked him and he answered me. He's like, you know, I asked him because he's a Colorado guy. He went to Colorado. I'm like, what are your thoughts on Dion? He's like, you know, as a fan, it's great. It's kind of nice to see that excitement around the program again. Now, going to all of that, that's what kind of Dion does. He brings excitement. He brings interest. You know, he's very good at that. And what, if he didn't win, a lot of people would be like, okay, this is just sort of a bit of a charlatan or something like that. But he actually succeeded on the field. So people, you know, okay, all right, you know, good job. You know, you're actually doing this. So all of that goes to kind of getting that sort of a week zero game and getting it in a position where – it is seen by as many people as possible because, you know, they want to they want to take advantage of that curiosity that people have to see Dion coaching his first FBS game. Um, and, you know, the, now, granted, there's going to be who's the other team, you know, and it's not even and it, it's good that Arizona State, you know, it's going to be a new head coach. We're going to see how that turns out. So you've got two programs with new head coaches, both of which would want to sort of probably either win or potentially spoil the whole, uh, you know, nothing would be better than Arizona state, Arizona state fans in the program would love to, to ruin that start, obviously for Deion Sanders. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there could be a win and a win, but at the same time, you know, the, the commentary behind the game are going to be both teams are 
new head coaches. So it's going to be kind of hard to use that game as a, as a measuring stick for how each program is going to necessarily do for the rest of the season. But I think it can't hurt. I, you know, any opportunity, think about it too, as far as recruiting, you know, for both programs, if you can get in a national stage and people are seeing you and you win, oh my goodness, that's, that's great. Even if you lose, there's still some opportunity to say like, hey, come play here, people are going to see you. Uh, that's always been a big well, selling ASU. point. Sorry, well, go ahead. Opponents on the schedule, six, and that's not even including Oklahoma State. So, moving a Colorado game that would normally be in either September or October, um, depending on schedule, and moving it to the end of August. Which I don't know if you've been out here to Arizona. But is it hot in time time sorry, out no, no, sorry, for, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, 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 it, um, kickoff for that game would be, you know, they're looking at trying to get a prime time slot, which would be about three, four, five PM in the local time for us. It's oh, 115 degrees. It's 115 degrees, which means either you're moving the game outside of Sun Devil stadium and ASU loses out on all of that revenue because they have to rent out the the new facility. Either like even Glendale, it's terrible. You're not going to get students at that game. Um, so it's either you move the game outside of Tempe and lose out on a true home game, or you risk basically trying to sell this game as is with Dion as the selling point trying to bend over to his will and saying, yeah, sit out here in 115 degree weather where ASU is trying to rebuild a fan base and reconnect with the community out here. Because baptized with fans over the last decade. And so that new head coach is coming in and trying to repair that. I don't think this is a good idea to to start off, you know, trying to ask of that, you know? I get what you're saying there, and I think that's that's going to be a tricky one. It reminds me a little bit of why San Diego State kind of bombed the launch of their new stadium, because Snapdragon Stadium, by all accounts, is actually a really nice facility, right? And they had their first game with Arizona. They wanted to have it prime time. And yeah, they ended up putting it earlier than normal because most San Diego State games are like, or even though like, the weather in San Diego, as you know, is nothing like Phoenix uh, and Tempe. But they uh, they decided to do it in the early afternoon, probably the early afternoon, but earlier in the day. And the worst possible scenario happened. It was like the hottest day San Diego has ever had. Um, it was like the same weather as you'd get in. Arizona and that just that entire debut of Snapdragon Stadium was a disaster. The fans now were all upset because the stadium didn't have any kind of roof over it. It didn't have any kind of shade because, again, they planned most of their games are at night and they lose to Arizona and the fans are all grumpy. And then you got to kind of dig yourself back from out of that hole. But they got a primetime television slot. So I get what you're saying. And if, if the game is too early in late August, in in, in Arizona, that's going to be an absolutely brutal environment for fans, and, and I could see why some folks will want to stay away. But it's kind of an interesting balance there. I hope they can get in a later game and still call it primetime. But, you know, primetime on primetime, you know, kind of, gosh, I, you know people are going to say that. Sorry. I know it's, it's absolutely tacky and stupid. <laughs> but at the same time, I get what they're trying to do. Although, you know, it's his yeah. first game. He wants to make a splash. He's trying to say, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not going to back down. As an FBS head coach, I'm going to be just as, you know, he's going to make just as much of a splash as he did with Jackson State. So I, I get it. I get what he's trying to do there. See, yeah. See, I I see this like Dion trying to back down, um, trying to avoid TCU being his first home game or his first game. And, you know, with that being the case, like as, as someone here locally in Arizona, you – the only reason you would play, you would justify this game being early in the season, like week zero, is if you expect Colorado to be a bad team going into week five or six, because they wouldn't be worth the ratings. But that then begs the question, is moving a 
game and rescheduling it earlier in the year worth it for that bad of a team? Because you wouldn't care if they come in three and one, you know, in week five. It'd be the same. It'd be the same storylines. ASU is not going to get talked about narratively either. It'll just be prime time and what he's building. But, you know, there's a lot of questions. I just do not see a win for ASU that doesn't end up screwing the conference over as well. Yeah, I could see that. You know, one thing I will say, though, the week zero games do get attention. And I think that that bottom line is what he's going for, because not everyone necessarily plays on week zero. And it's an opportunity to get that attention. But I do his because his non-conference slate because he's got three and they're back to back to back are literally, as you said, at TCU. TCU is still going to be a pretty damn good team next year. And then he's got two rivalry games. Two rival. I mean, people. We've talked about this on this sh- on our show before, but the real hatred in Colorado, their real rival, has always been Nebraska. And I say that because Nebraska fans are generally chill. You know, they're known for being really nice to opposing fans. But if you really get down to a Nebraska fans, a one team, and it's Colorado. And I remember when I went to a game in Nebraska, that was like the only team you saw in effigy you know, totally unrelated to the team playing Nebraska that was was Colorado. So they're playing that game after TCU, and then they're renewing the Rocky Mountain Showdown with uh, Colorado State because that went on pause for a little bit. So both those teams are going to be looking forward to that, uh, renew, renewing that game as well. But, yeah, I I do hope they, they if they do put it on week zero, they move it a little earlier. Now, I want to go ahead, and before we wrap up, I want to give Gray Fox a chance to, to chime in again. I saw his hand raised. What's up? Uh, I just wanted to, to touch on, you know, with with primetime and, and Colorado and everything like that, yeah, they're definitely using him to, to sell this game and, and market it. because It goes back to what you were talking about with the president of uh, the conference that was out there, you know, trying to give a high-five bro hug to, to Max Duggan. You got to go outside the box nowadays with a lot of things. And, you know, prime, primetime is a prime, is a prime example of that, you know, he was passed over. He wanted to be a head coach right off the rip when he got into it, but they kept passing him over saying, you don't have the experience coaching, you don't have the experience coaching. And he says, oh, all right, I'll do it my way. And really what he's doing, and sorry, sorry again, but he, he's, he's modeling it after his college coach, Bobby Bowden. He is a, he is a head ball coach and he is going to surround himself with people that can specialize in certain areas. Now, of course, he's going to take care of his DBs. I mean, he's the greatest DB of all time. There's no doubt about it. But he's going to surround himself with people that can handle it. And unless they are just absolutely letting the wheels fall off um, with whatever they're doing, he's not going to get involved with it. He's going to let them do their thing. And, uh, you know, that you got to go outside the box sometime. And, and Prime being who Prime is, he is an outside-of-the-box um coaching hire and it's going to bring new recruits these kids want to gravitate to him they want to learn from him they want to to be a part of his you know football coaching legacy tree and you know so i you do you you got to think outside the box you want to see newer things kind of just like with the the president going up to max duggan and and so on and so forth so um i absolutely agree and other places like uh like a nebraska nebraska needs to look outside the box and so they can bring their team back to prominence on the national stage yeah, and you know but thank you again man great show. Oh, yeah absolutely and as we wrap this up i just wanted to hit on a couple of things there i think you're absolutely right and and your know, tv is going to look for what brings in ratings and it's going to be prime time which makes him an attractive coach for that week zero i still remember you know gosh when harbaugh was first starting at michigan you know fox went really really like Fox sports went really hard into this. And they even had like the Harbros. They had a bunch of interns dressed like Harbaugh and they took this bus that had khaki painted. to look like it was wearing khaki pants. And they went this big show. They went to Utah. You know, they, they made this Utah Michigan game a huge deal. Cause it's going to be Harbaugh's big, you know, return to college football after, you know, taking Stanford and making them a, a real contender for going to the NFL. So they do all of this. They have the hard bros. They have the bus. They go to call. They go to Utah and then they lose. Uh, so, you know, maybe that'll be what will happen in the benefit of, of Arizona State in that kind of a scenario. That'll be the Utah there. 
you know, and, and again, going back to, to Dion, you know, as you said, with, with Bobby Bowden surrounding himself with talent, you know, we were just talking about Kent State being the team, one of the two teams that, well, not one of the two teams. I mean, Ohio State and Mizzou certainly seemed to give uh, uh, Georgia the biggest fits this season, but Kent State certainly did. They had that unexpected game where they made it a little closer for comfort. And what does Dion do? He hires the head coach from them. So Sean Lewis leaves being Kent State's head coach to be Dion's offensive coordinator at Colorado. So it's all the rich tapestry. You know, it's a little past 10. We like to probably 10 central. Sorry, that's where I'm at. But it's a little been going for a little over an hour. We typically like to wrap up around now. So that's what I'm going to do here. I just wanted to thank everyone who joined us. It's always good hearing from you talking college football. You know, we talked a bit about the national championship. We talked about what things are looking like next season um, and a little bit in between about all kinds of things. So every Tuesday night we do these. And hopefully now that the offseason is here and we've had a chance to breathe on our side, we can start scheduling some more guests for kind of midweek shows that we'll announce on Twitter as they come up. But every Tuesday night, we make sure to have these call-in shows, and we always enjoy hearing from you. So on behalf of myself, Bob Akairi, on behalf of my co-hosts, who both were unable to be here tonight, Sirius and J.D. Moore, who, again, I'm happy about what's going on in his life. And no, he's not skipping this because he's a TCU fan. He absolutely adored how this season went, um, but for that final uh, uh, 60 Minutes football but I'll go ahead and say have a great evening. Now I'm going to hang up and listen.